a Podcast One production. This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Di Westaway is the CEO and founder of Wild Women on Top, an outdoor adventure business that encourages women to get into nature and live life to the full. Her charity Coast Trek is enjoyed by many thousands every year and to date has raised over $40 million for charity. So I gather you've been listening to the Tanya Plebisek episode. How'd you, how'd you go with that one? Well, it was very entertaining, very interesting. Um, I love the fact that she had this whole bush thing, of course, being a hiker, the Royal National Park, the Watermola jumping off that rock. I didn't do it with my child, but I did it with my children side by side, <laughs> not in my arms. Yeah, so, yeah, I think she's amazing and it was great to kind of get a little bit of insight into her background and her family and you can see why she's such an extraordinary, amazing woman. Um, and you also were listening to the to Sarah Wilson yesterday as well, I gather. Sarah I found really fascinating. Sarah has been a Coast Trek ambassador, so we've had a little bit to do with her through that. And as you well know, she's a very keen hiker and has been hiking probably for longer than I have. Uh, so, yes, I also found that really fascinating and I love when she said, um, they, the, she doesn't use the word sustainability. What's the term that she uses to re, reusing everything? Is is like a game. I can relate to that because I sort of grew up in some similar circumstances to her, and um, I I love the fact that you can reuse Glad wrap. You know, like if you haven't got any of the wax papers, you've got some Glad wrap that came off the cabbage, and you can reuse that and wrap the lettuce in it. Uh, so I yeah, I get it. I think it's really cool. Well, listen, I'm really pleased that you've been enjoying listening, but but we're here today to hear your five choices. And as is traditional, we're going to start with your film. Uh, and you have chosen the 2018 documentary, The Game Changers. Tell us about that and why you chose it. The Game Changers, I think, um, is, is fascinating. And, and it takes me back. I fancy myself as a bit of an athlete, Nigel. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, um, I fell in love with gymnastics as, a, as an eight-year-old. In fact, I was um, talent spotted, I'm going to say now, talent spotted at my local swimming pool in Canberra, um, the Dixon Pool, and the, I was talent spotted by a gymnastics coach and he decided that my sister and I, as seven and eight-year-olds, would make good gymnasts, which was kind of a little bit out there and a little bit strange and probably as a mother now I would think weird. But at the time my mum thought it was awesome and she and she took us off to the this local gym club and I fell in love with the sport. Um, and so that really started me on a path for my, which has informed my entire life of physical activity. And it hasn't been until my later later days, more recently, that I've realised and learned the science behind why I feel so good so good when I'm doing physical activity. Um, but if, as a kid, I just you know I was always up a tree, cartwheeling upside down, um, riding my bike down the street, doing an arabesque, you know, one foot on the seat, one leg in the air. Um, so. 
The Game Changers was fascinating because it is a film, a documentary that's very easy to watch, but it's been made for, I think, athletes. And as a former athlete and someone who still hopes to achieve some level of um, athletic performance in the sphere of mountain climbing, um, I'm always looking for ways to um, both recover from hard exercise and also heal injuries. And the Game Changers was just a game changer (laughs) because uh, prior to watching that, like many people, I believe that my best source of protein was meat. Me too. Or animals at least. Um, And I was like, well, why would I have plant protein when I have to have a whole bunch of plants that I don't really know much about, lentils and things I don't know how to cook, when I could just have you know, a piece of fish or a piece of chicken and, you know, who doesn't want a bit of cheese with a glass of red wine? So I really had, had hung on to that um, and um, feel almost a little bit embarrassed now as a nutrition teacher, te- um, teacher that I thought that I was getting my best sort of source of protein being um, animal protein. So that was part of the game changer where I was like, wow, so I can get, not only will my body heal more quickly, not only can I push myself in an endurance sense, which mountaineers need to do. But also, um, here's this wonderful source of really healthy, low-inflammatory proteins that I need to learn about. So it was extraordinary. These were elite athletes who said, my level of performance went another level when I went to a plant-based diet. So um, to me, that's very appealing because, Nigel, next year I'm going to be a sexagenarian. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, when I'm in training for being a sexagenarian, and I only learnt that recently, um, I'm pretty keen to last a bit longer. Uh, so, so sexagenarian, that's got nothing to do with sex. That's to do with being 60. That's exactly right. Or, or maybe both. <laughs> well, hopefully both. Because <laughs> we know sex is one of those things that is really good for you, actually. <laughs> and there's scientific studies around that, so I think that's really cool as well. And when I saw this thing, you know, the new generation of sexagenarians, I'm like, what even is that? So I did look it up. And um, it turns out it actually came out of the UK. There's this whole wave, um, apparently, of these really strong, really healthy, really fit um, people into their 60s um, who are who are just redefining what that means. And, of course, the fact that it's called sexagenarians, it's sort of hard to resist. I am thrilled to hear that story. And we're going to stay with the body theme for your second choice because uh, you have chosen a book from my, well, one of my favourite writers, Bill Bryson, his latest book, uh, The Body, A Guide for Occupants. Yes. Tell me about it and why you chose it. Well, it's a meaty tome, as you would know if you've had a look at it. Um, And I am going to admit I don't read that book cover to cover, but I delve into it because it's fascinating. And of course, who doesn't want to read Bill Bryson? He's so entertaining and so engaging. And he comes from so outside the sphere into it. So he's got a curious perspective. But my interest in, in the body um, I really probably started as a, as a child. Uh, I, I had quite an unusual childhood, I think, in many ways. Uh, first of all, my dad was the same age as my grandfather. So Hold on, ex- explain, that, explain <laughs> that for, for us. Um, well, it, it's not as weird as it seems at first, but it was an unusual childhood. My, my mum married... Um, she was 21 and she married a 43-year-old gentleman. He was a war refugee from the heart of Europe, from the Czech Republic, and she fell in love with him. So I was the child of, um, a, at the time, 22-year-old mother and a 44-year-old dad. And that made a very unusual childhood, apart from the fact that I 
they inherited the name Canedal Huns, which was always, a, I felt, always a burden because no one could ever say it, or least of all spell it. Um, so, yes, it was an interesting childhood because having a dad the same age as your granddad meant that generationally my family life was much more conservative than any of my peers. But the other thing that was unusual was that my mum followed a very unusual religious philosophy and she was a Christian scientist. Uh, So not to be confused with Scientology, Um, I'm no expert um, in Scientology, but I did grow up in a very, um, I I would say Christian science is more than what most people would consider a religion. It wasn't just going to church on Sunday. It was something that my mum lived and breathed every day and shared with, um, with my sister and I, and we went to Sunday school. Um, I had great difficulty sitting still, probably would have been diagnosed ADHD these days, um, but that hour was torture. But um, I did come away with some really interesting learnings. A fundamental principle of Christian science is that in the same way that Jesus healed people, um, the belief is that we, we all can do the miracles of Jesus and the way we do them is to, is to communicate with God and that God can heal our mind and our body. So I grew up believing that. Um, I, I now have a different slant on it, but I think there's a lot to be learned from letting Mother Nature take mm. its course with healing your body. And I, and we know, those of us who've done a little bit of looking into the science of the body, that placebo is now scientifically proven um, to be 30% of healing. If you believe you're going to be healed, you wow. will. Yeah. Um, and the other interesting thing that, that I'm learning through my course in lifestyle medicine is that the human body is such a remarkable thing that, again, if you provided, Hippocrates famously said, the father of modern medicine, that if you give man the right food and the right exercise and the right rest, the body will heal itself. He also said that walking is man's best medicine. So uh, my childhood in that contact that I had with, we didn't have a doctor. Like, like it was quite unusual at, at school when they said family doctor, you had to write down family doctor. I was like, I was always embarrassed. because like, the Lord. I did. Well, <laughs> I never wrote anything. I Like I didn't have a family doctor. I never went to the doctor as, as a kid. So it, that's very unusual for people. I never took any medication of any kind. And I look back on that now and I, I feel very grateful because I – very, very rarely. I don't want to say never because if I say never, then it might suddenly jinx myself, but I don't get sick. I have very, very high immunity. And I don't think that's just luck. And I don't think that's because I have less contact with bugs than other people. I think that I've been fortunate in that I've had a good environment. I've had healthy food, not probably not as chemical food. I haven't had, I haven't had processed food much in my life. And I've moved my body every day from when I was a child. So uh, so that's now I now know that's what's called lifestyle medicine, but at the time it was just doing what Mum said. Uh, so yeah, it's been an interesting journey, and hence the body, <laughs> a guide for occupants. <laughs> Listen, you mentioned walking, and that's the link to your third choice on Five My Life. We're going back in history to 1966, and Frank Sinatra's oldest child, Nancy, mm. who wrote and performed the fantastic, I've been humming it all week, uh, These Boots Are Made For Walking. Isn't it awesome? Uh, it's, it's, and the video, the video though, no. the video is next level unacceptable. I know. I know. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. So These Boots Are Made For Walking sort of came 
back into my life, I guess. I, you know, I was born in 1960, so it would have been around vaguely as, a, as, a, as I was a small child. But as a result of my business, the business I run now, which is all about hiking, of course, putting your boots on and going walking, um, and the fact that it's such a catchy tune and Nancy's just such a cool, kick-ass woman. Um, but when you look deeper than, the, the, than sort of the walking images, the, the, um, the song is really about, you know, walking out, <laughs> walking out from a man who's misbehaving. Um, and um, as you may also know, because you've looked at, you know, Googled me, um, I had to walk away from a man who was misbehaving in very, very sad, in very sad ways. Um, I can happily say now that, you know, we have a very good friendship and um, he's in a very good place. Uh, but it was, I think, the most difficult decision of my life after uh, 25 years of marriage. It was a marriage like many of highs and lows, extreme highs, extreme lows, very exciting it was a very exciting life um, because I was I used to be married to an you know to an actor and of a, a, a policeman a motorcycle policeman turned actor um, at an exciting time in in the you know sort of in the industry in Australia so um, it, we had great fun times but um, things did you know things didn't um, didn't pan out well um, and um, he struggled uh, with alcohol and in the end my when my eldest son left home at 17 that was to me was just that was the breaking point I just I just couldn't you know I couldn't stay uh, couldn't stay any longer so so my boots were made for walking um, and I and I did walk and uh, fortunately now after 10 years you know the, as as life turns um, you know he's in a good place where you know as a family as a separated family we're now rebuilding the relationships because I've um, I don't know. Many Australians have to deal with, you know, issues around alcohol. It's the number one out of all the drugs. It's the one that causes the most damage, and we were certainly affected. Um, so, yeah, the boots. It, it takes a lot of courage to put those boots um, to walking. And I was also very aware when I made the decision at the time. I had a 16-year-old daughter, um, and I really wanted to show her that if you are in a dysfunctional relationship. Um, that there does come a point where it is is wise to to walk and not to stay. So, yeah, it was a it was a challenging, tough time. Uh, but thank you, Nancy. Um, we got through it. And as my sister wisely said, tough times pass, and the tough times did pass. And um, yeah, we're all in a much better place now. It's fascinating, and thank you for being so honest and open. It, it's fascinating to hear you talk about that song in a deeper way mm. because I think it's actually. I think that's the most interesting thing about that song. There's one of my favourite lines in any pop song in it where it goes, you keep lying when you ought to be truthing. I know, <laughs> it's so good. What you do in your work, I, I think is genuinely inspirational because you Back it up. So mm. you you inspire hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women every year to to get out in nature and to you know live their life to the full. Mm. And and I quite like to listen to you talking about female empowerment because mm. through, through no just if you look at my grandmother's life, you know she was the belonging of her husband. I mean mm. that's because that's just because you were. I mean you're yeah. fired if you got a got engaged. I mean, that the whole world was a different world. Yes. And and if you, I mean, you've got three kids, if you've got kids and you're a mum and you're working, you can fall into 
a world where your options get less and less and less and you might think that there's less and less and less in life for you, apart from the amazingly valuable job of being yeah. a mum. Yeah. So would you mind talking to that and how you inspire women to, yeah. to, to broaden their horizons? Well, when I was 16, I became the Australian gymnastics champion. Um, as a result of injury, I ended up, um, you know, ceasing my career at the you know, tender age of 17. But um, it still set me up to believe and have a confidence both in my body and in my abilities that meant um, I pretty much thought that I could do anything. And so not everyone has that experience as a child and you would wish that everybody did, but but we don't all. Um, but for me, I went into then into a marriage. I fell madly head over heels in love with this very handsome, very dapper, gorgeous man. And I then I devoted myself to his career. So his career took precedence over mine and happily, um, and we had agreed that when we had children that we would juggle the two of us and we did. So so through those, the, when the, our children were little, we kind of juggled the parenting role. Sometimes he'd be away and, and then I'd hold the fort completely on my own. Other times he'd be back and I'd do a little bit. But I was always doing the part-time thing. His career always came first. And when we, and when we you know, when we got separated and then divorced, um, it was the beginning of my fledgling business. I had this little tiny business that was making no money um, and, you know, a, a very good friend took me aside and said, look, Di, uh, you know, I know a bit about your circumstances and and he did and he said, oh, you know, come and work for me Like, and you, you, what you're doing, just, you're not going to make any money out of it, you know. You can't make money out of taking women hiking. Like, um, But I was, I was so passionate and I could see the impact that this walking in the bush and training for big hiking adventure goals, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, trekking to Everest Base Camp, I could see what it was doing to these women that I was training and to me because it was like there, there, is, a, there is adventure out there. Life doesn't end at 40 when you're, when you're a mum with children working on the working mum treadmill. There's a whole life out there that, that other people are experiencing and if you can be um, fit enough to move and walk in nature, then that just gives you a strength and a confidence that, that a lot of other things don't give you. So once I realised that, I was like, I can't let this go. I've got to hang on to this. So I um, ended up borrowing money as part of a mortgage um, and I lived off that until I built this little fledgling business. I moved into a little tiny apartment with my two children then because my third had gone to move and lived in with another family and the, and we and we just got by. I don't I, it's kind of like a blur how it all happened, but I devoted you know, every moment that I could to building this little business, um, which was Wild Women on Top. Um, but it wasn't until we started doing the Coast Trek event that I could actually support myself. So it was quite a long time of living below the poverty line and just scraping together. You know, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't have much, um, and and the kids probably when you ask would uh, would ask them didn't quite realise I w- I was able to protect them. Um, and, um, yeah, we got through the tough times. But the journey of empowering women, once I realised the potential of that, I, there was no turning back. I just knew I had to keep pushing forward. Um, so what I learned was um, when you take yourself outside your comfort zone in a physical sense, which you do if you go into nature, um, magic happens. Like you just learn amazing things about yourself. It builds your resilience. It builds your mental toughness. Um, and in fact, it was a mountain climb in South America, climbing the not or failing to climb the highest mountain in the Southern Hemisphere that actually gave me the confidence and the mental toughness that when I went through my marriage breakdown, I just had this 
ability. I knew I was going to get through it. I knew I wasn't going to die and I'd been on a mountain thinking I might um, and I just knew I just had to keep taking one step after another, just keep stepping forward and you will overcome the challenge. So it's it was about it taught me that by setting these big goals, A, you had to be really strong and fit to achieve it, which meant you had to prioritise your own health and fitness, which many women and many mums don't, many men and women don't. Um, But by having this big compelling goal, it would force you to do that. But also that feeling of you're actually living life. You're not just waiting to die. Um, There's a whole world of adventure out there. So I call it the adventure mindset where you believe that you can take a challenge and know that you'll do the little steps along the way and you will really live a fulfilled life. I've seen a number of my friends who have been very significantly and positively affected by your work. So so thank you. I mean, you, you are somebody, there are, you know, many people who have very, very good intentions, but there might not be significant impact. I think you have very good intentions and enormous impact. So God love you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're pretty excited. And, and, and the, one thing that I haven't mentioned, I'd really love to mention is that the other thing that we know about um, about women, you know, particularly women from 35 to 55, is that they're reluctant to invest in their own health and fitness because they think that's a bit selfish. They feel like, guilty. They feel guilty. That's exactly right. In fact, Susie O'Neill, who was one of our Coast Trek ambassadors, talked about that. She said, because I'm raising money as part of this walk, at the time it was with Fred Hollows, we're now with Beyond Blue. But she said, because I'm raising money for a charity... The guilt's gone and I feel okay. I can tell my husband and kids I'm going out for a four-hour walk this morning and everyone's okay with it because I'm doing it for someone else. So to me, that was a really significant learning and it's become a key pillar of our Coast Trek event, which raises money for Beyond Blue because our trekkers go, it's not just about me going out and indulgently walking, you know, taking on a walking challenge. Um, While you could say that's an amazing thing to do because it's getting you fitter and healthier and you're going to be there for a better nurturer, a better mother, a better sister, etc., etc. But it's also raising money for somebody else to improve their life. Um, And it's very exciting now that we've partnered with Beyond Blue because we know that walking benefits the walker's mental health hugely, but also we're raising money for those who are who have actually probably got beyond, you know, who need more help than just a walk. Um, and there are many people um, in Australia, fast-growing numbers um, with anxiety and depression who, who, who a walk won't fix those people. They need professional help. And raising money for Beyond Blue is, is where the money goes. So it's a really exciting time. Um, and we've got ten, you know tens of thousands of people now, nearly sixty thousand in total, that have walked the coast of Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide. Um, and as you mentioned, they feel good when they've done it, as you as you did, Nigel. It's a sen- <laughs> sensational event. <laughs> For your fourth choice, we are coming on to the North Head of Sydney Harbour. Is that correct? Yes. Right. So North Head, as as you would know, now being a Sydney resident. There's North Head, there's Middle Head, there's South Head, there's Dobroyd Head, but North is the biggest of, of the Sydney heads uh, and it's it's extraordinary, it's an extraordinary, very large piece of nature that has everything. You can get completely lost in North Head. There's waterfalls, there's secret coves, there's mag- majestic cliffs, um, there's rock pools, there's ocean um, it, it truly, truly is an absolute jewel um, in the crown of Sydney. 
Fortunately for me and my my wild women, there's not really trails that connect a lot of it yet, although I'm sure there will be one day because it really is a slice of heaven. Um, But North Head, I'm I'm, I'm very privileged because I live quite near it um, and I take my clients training there a lot. But North Head has has got a special significance to me because in those challenging times when I was leaving, leaving my marriage and wondering whether I would ever find a happy place, I was uh, very fortunate that I um, met a rock climber and at the time I was training to be a mountaineer so I had, you know, had to do a little bit of rock climbing and um, he said, look, if you ever want to do something really challenging, I'll take you to climb the fear. And I was like, what's the fear? Like, (laughs) it sort of sounds a bit out there. You know, we talk about, you know, stepping outside of our comfort zone but anyway, it turns out that the fear, it's, it's illegal now to climb the fear but the fear is a rock climb that goes up from the, from the um, southern tip of North Head, it goes up a very steep cliff and then it goes out over what we call an overhang and up and around. So it's quite a, it's, it's known to be a, a challenging rock climb um, and he was going to take me to climb the fear. And so we arranged um, for this particular day, it was a, it was a school day um, and I can remember we went out there and I was thinking, oh dear, does a responsible mother climb the fear on a school day and not tell anyone where she's gone? Um, but of course I did live to tell the tale. I remember I was, as I was dangling on the side of this cliff with, with, with him above me putting these anchors in and there was a little section that I wasn't quite tall enough to reach and he put this little, called an aid, where I could sort of step into a stirrup to get up um, and then surviving that and thinking, oh, wow, and thinking I've got my phone in my pocket. Like if there was to be an issue, I was going to be late for school pickup. <laughs> I'd have to take a photo of where I was. Um, so the fear, of course, was a metaphor for me then, overcoming the fear and doing this extraordinary climb um, and, and then just knowing that that my, my journey in life has been about not only overcoming a lot of my own fears but helping others overcome fear. Um, and on the other side is is just an amazing an amazing learning and, and yeah. Oh, the fifth choice, your last choice, is your possession. And I've got a suspicion that you were wearing it this morning. Um, I was. Ah, that one there. Okay, you have chosen a, <laughs> a Kubra hat. Well, my Kubra, my Kubra is, um, goes back to my cowgirl phase. So in my early married life... Um, uh, when I was married to a, a budding actor, we had a little phase a, and um, uh, with uh, someone who became very famous, who became a very famous movie star. And that person was a gentleman by the name of Russell Crowe. And Russell and my ex-husband did a show called The Rocky Horror Show together. And Russell um, a, a, and, um, and my ex became very good friends. And um, in fact, in Russell's bohemian stage, when we were living in Melbourne, in Camberwell, in our little tiny terrace, Russell lived on our dining room floor for about three months because <laughs> he was homeless at the time and something that he says actors need to go through. So we became good mates in that period. And it was at the period just after that, that um, he made the film The Silver Brumby. So he got into this whole horsey world. And so we kind of got into, you know, not not in so deeply, but we got into this horsey world. My ex had been a, a rider um, and we went out the country, we went riding, we all had our Akubras, we learned to crack a whip and chew tobacco and do all of those things. So it was a very fond, fun time um, in, in, that, in the Akubra years. And when I started hiking with women, I started Wild Women on Top, it, it, the the girls were kind of like, well, you can't wear an Akubra. Like, you know, that's sort of not really hiking gear. You know, that's cowgirl gear, not hiking gear. So I moved into the cap thing. Um, and about five years ago, I was um, with my mum in Barrel in a little Akubra shop and I was like, 
I think it's time to go back to the Akubra. I really like that look. So I bought myself an Akubra and it's become now my bushwalking, my bushwalking hiking thing. Um, and I think it brings back beautiful memories of, of some fun times in the past and um, and also I think it's very practical because I, I, you get sun protection all around. Which is important. So I love that story. So dear old Rusty, you <laughs> slept on your floor for three months. <laughs> dear not, old Rusty did. <laughs> there are not many people that can say that. I know. Well, this may be the chance to reconnect because I'm going to move to my sixth traditional question, which is who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next and why? Well, I know you ask this question and it's quite a hard one. It's harder than my five, actually. But I think right now I'm fascinated with Julie Bishop. I just think she's a kick-ass woman. She's fit, healthy and awesome. And I'd love to hear a bit more about her story. Well, that is a great suggestion. And Di Westaway, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your choices on Five My Life. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholish. For more episodes, search the Five of My Life podcast. Go to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.